Well, listen, John chapter 6, that's what we're going to look at this morning, and uh, because of just, just all the, the great stuff the Lord's already done, um, I'm going to be, con well, not condensing, but I'm going to be kind of moving through this this morning, uh, and so take a look at your sermon notes. I've given you the scripture. We have been reading it each week. I've actually been telling you it's not going to be on the screen. You've got to focus in. One of our goals is to become biblically literate this year, so we've been challenging you in that way, but it's on your paper this morning. Uh, as we just jump right into it. And I wanna, what I want to do is I want to walk you through this very familiar passage to a lot of Christians. And I want to challenge you in a couple things that show up here that maybe you've read past a little quick. And this is what I want to do. I'm going to give you about six things. There's going to be one that I know you've got to camp out. Like that's the one that the Spirit might be saying this morning. Yep, that's for me. I want to encourage you to circle. Like literally just circle that one. And when you get home to put this up somewhere, maybe on the fridge or somewhere, in fact, you're going to get a magnet on your way, a foster awareness magnet on your way out to put up on your fridge. This would be a great thing to put on the fridge and to remind you. And here's, the, here's what I want to ask. That one you circled, you just go back to it every single morning and you pray that one. That point, every morning you just pray that. Say, Lord, help me today with whichever the one you circle. Let the Holy Spirit start your day with that. So let's jump into it. Here's, let me give you an overview of the story. Uh, the story is that Jesus and his disciples, they end up on this mountainside and people start flocking to Jesus. And that's happening a lot at this point. We've been walking through John. You've been seeing Jesus's popularity grow. People are flocking to Jesus, mainly here for, for teaching or to be near him. And we find that Jesus sits them down and he does this miraculous thing where he feeds them. It's known as the feeding of the 5,000, right? And even if you don't grow up in the church world and you say something to somebody and you say, yeah, there's this story about Jesus feeding 5,000 people, they might go, oh, yeah, 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 I kind of know it. They may not know the story, but they kind of got an idea, right? And so this miraculous thing happens. And then the disciples collect all the leftovers. It's way more than what they use to even feed them or that God uses to feed them. And then we get a little uh, an interaction that we don't want to skip past too quickly where Jesus retreats on his own to be alone. That's the general story. What I want to do is I want to walk through it and I want to highlight some passages. And here's the overall thing we want to remember this morning. As we've talked about already, God will provide. He is still provider to us. We think about God often in terms of God the Father. We sing about that, that phrase, God the Father, um, often. But you've got to remember that in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, they would not have gone around saying God the Father all the time. One of the dominant names for Jesus in the Old Testament is provider. God is the provider. And so when they would think of what they need, they would say, God, God is the provider. And they would go to him. And I want to tell you today, God still provides. He still offers to his people. If we're not careful, what we do is we get over here and we're gathering everything for ourselves, trying to provide only on our own, and then we want to come and we want to have a God experience, maybe in worship service or those type of things. And then we want to go back and just do all. And God is saying, look, I'm still your provider. Come to me. And let me just show you how this shows up in this passage. And maybe you'll look at this passage even a little bit differently. So let's start in verse 1. Take a look at it. Uh, after this, Jesus goes across the Galilee Sea, that is the Tiberias Sea. Now, you may repass that and go, 
whoop-de-doo, right? You know, they went in a boat, they went across the sea, so what? This is an interesting little thing. Like sometimes you watch your movies, right, your superhero movies especially, and you say, oh, they put some Easter eggs in there. For years, I didn't know what people were talking about when they say Easter eggs. I thought they literally were hiding little pictures of eggs, and it was some game to find. It's some connection to another movie or another story that it shows up in there. This is almost like a little Easter egg John is putting in there to say, isn't Jesus awesome? Here's what he's getting at. Um, Tiberius there. You might not know this, but the Sea of Galilee was actually changed to be called the Sea of Tiberius in AD 20. Why? Because the second emperor in the Roman Empire was named Tiberius, and they named it after him. So he's the second empire, or emperor, and they decide, we're going to just call this sea, because the Roman Empire controlled the area, we're going to call this now the Sea of Tiberias. Happened in AD 20. What is the thing that Tiberius was most known for? He's known as the emperor who provided food for everyone in the empire. It's like a politician saying, job for everyone if I get elected. As an emperor, he said, I want to provide food for every single person in the empire. That's how dominant our empire is going to be. Nobody's going hungry. I'm providing food for everyone. This is the location that Jesus chose on a mountainside. I want you to take a little picture of this. On a mountainside, Jesus decides to do one of his greatest miracles, to feed masses of people. Right here in the place where you would say, if there's a, an emperor who feeds everyone, I'm about to provide for you. It's this great little introduction. Even before he does, Jesus reminds us he can. This little, like, I can do this. I'm capable of this. In this setting in your life, I'm about to do something. And Jesus is telling us that. In fact, Often, what we actually describe it is that there is grace that goes out from God, that goes in advance to speak to people's heart, to speak to situations, to set up what Jesus wants to do. And so we get this little glimpse of this in the way John wants to write this beginning of the story. Why? Wow, he could have just said, they went across the Galilee Sea. I mean, he's Jewish. He could have just wrote that. You know, the heck with the Roman Empire. I'm not giving them that name. He's wanting to communicate something. Jesus is about to provide in the place where you seek your provision somewhere else or named after where you seek your provision. Verse 5, the story uh, gets going a little bit further. Jesus looks up and he sees a great uh, crowd, large crowd, coming towards him. He asks Philip, where will we buy food to feed these people? Now listen to it. What does he ask him? Where will we buy food? Where do we go to get enough food for all of these people? That's not their responsibility. A rabbi was not responsible to feed everybody who came out to, to hear them teach. My, it's not my responsibility to feed you today, right? Um, at least not feed you actual food. Like there's no lunch afterwards today, right? Now, two weeks from now, we have an outdoor service at 10 o'clock, and we are doing a potluck after that, right? But you're bringing the dish, so you're kind of feeding yourself, so... But Jesus says, where would we go? Where would we go to get enough food? Well, what are the disciples here? Or how do they choose to answer this? You can look in your, your notes there in, in the passage I, I provided for you. They say, Jesus, we don't have enough money 
to feed all these people. It's not possible is what they're saying. They're just saying, Jesus, this is not possible what you're asking. But Jesus didn't ask how much money or with what. Jesus says, where would we go to buy this much enough food to feed these people? Where would we go? Now, the word for uh, buy is actually uh, a, a grosso in the Greek, and it means exchange. So you can think about it as like a marketplace. You'd go and exchange at a marketplace. And if you've ever been maybe to another country, you know this kind of works. You can, you can barter and you can exchange. It doesn't work so well at Target, right? So like don't take an old shoe and try to barter it for something. You're, you're not going to get much uh, there. But this is the idea that where, where would we go to exchange what we have for enough food for all of these people? They say, it's not, it's not possible. It's not possible. But Jesus say, what place, what place would we go? The correct answer, really, they've been with Jesus this long. The correct answer would be, to you, Jesus, you can provide, right? The correct answer would be, hey, do you, uh, we, remember you did something with wine. You changed, you know, you like took water, you made it wine. Uh, can you do anything greater than that? Can you do it with food, too, right? right? But... They don't think that way. They think in terms of, we don't have enough to offer. There's no place that would provide enough for these people. They're out of luck. There's no place to provide. Like, when you have somebody in your life who is in need, sometimes we conclude the same thing. I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I don't know where they're going to turn. I don't know who would help or offer. And that, you know, I think they're kind of out of luck. That was kind of the spirit of where the disciples were, at least initially there. Listen, our first step to, to God providing is believing he can. It's just believing God can provide. He can. He's capable of it. Listen, if you want God to provide you with a Lamborghini, he can do it, right? I think you're going to be out of luck on that one. But, um, but first, believing God can provide. He can do it. He's capable of it. And if you're not sure in your life, if you can't think of the story, I can direct you all throughout his word to where his provision was great. So that's our first step. Do you need to hear that? Is that your starting point to circle today? To say, like, I've just drifted in my Christianity where I, I come to worship service and I love it. I love being here. I love the people. I've lost sight that God is a God who can provide. Verse 9, if we continue on with the story, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for a crowd like this? Andrew goes and gets this kid's food. Now, if you want to look at biblical scholars on this and, and them tell you kind of what the makeup or why this verse, it's all over the map, all right? You might have one that says, well, this shows an ounce of faith that Andrew had when some of the other disciples didn't. He had some faith. God, Jesus, can you do something with this? We've seen you do other stuff. Here's some all the way on the other side where some biblical scholars say this is like clear cynicism, you know, like, oh, here's this, you know, you do anything with this, kind of. Um, I don't quite know, I can't give you without a doubt concretely exactly, but Jesus is presented with this small bit. Now, we think of loaves, five, five loaves, right, um, is what it says. It says barley loaves here. And I... Um, don't think of like going down to the grocery store and going to the bread section and buying five loaves of Wonder Bread, right? I mean, think about it. You're giving this little boy his lunch and snack for the day. 
Remember when uh, some of us my age or older, when we were little, you got on your bikes and you went out for the day and mom said, be back when that street lamp comes on, right? And that's what we did sometimes. We threw food in a backpack, whatever we could throw in. That's what this is for this boy. These aren't large loaves. These are actually small unleavened bread, almost like large crackers that he's taken for his day. It's two small fish. In fact, pickled fish was very popular in here. I know some of you are like, oh, do what now? So, but they would have taken this and it would have been his, his food for the day. Enough for a, a little boy, one boy. How could it do anything? Well, one of the common teachings of the day was this, five, these five loaves of bread, these five barley loaves. One of the common teacher, teachings among rabbis of Jesus' day and before was that the five scrolls of the Torah, the five books of the Pentateuch, when they're in scroll form wrapped up, you know, there's five of these scrolls, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right, as we call them. They contain creation. They contain the law, how the Jewish people were supposed to live. They tell the story of the Exodus, that we have a God who delivers. Those five scrolls, they were known as God's provision. The teaching was this, the word of God will sustain you. The Torah will sustain you. It is your bread of life to feed on the word of God. That was a common teaching that was shared among rabbis. And so it's no mistake that it's five loaves of bread here described. As if it's saying, look, the word of God nourishes. And who does John, in the very first chapter we studied together, who does John say is the word of God come in flesh? Jesus. And here's Jesus ready to provide, to give, that the people might be sustained you know sometimes we'd look at five little crackers maybe they were large crackers i don't know that's not enough because if we're not careful do you know what we do we treat god's word our bible like it's not enough it's not enough so we don't read it i don't look at it i don't get in there i don't meditate on verses i don't claim promises that are in there when I say circle this and go back each day and read that, we go like, ah, because we just think that's not really enough. I got to get out and provide for myself. I got to do all this stuff. The word of God doesn't have a lot to offer. And Jesus is saying here, it will. So the next step is to evaluate where, you, where do you seek your provision? Where are you seeking now your provision regularly? Jesus starts to give some instruction, verse 10. That's the next verse. Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They set down about 5,000 of them. Now, I know some of you have heard this uh, teaching on this before, and you've said, oh, yeah, in the Jewish counting system, they only counted the men. So it was 5,000 men here, and there was probably, oh, a ton more, maybe up to 10,000, 15,000 if families and wives were there as well. Maybe. We're not totally sure, but that would seem to be consistent with the way Jewish people would count their crowds. Uh, there's also, to be fair and to be consistent, often only the men went to listen to the teaching of the rabbis. Now, on the other side, Jesus was something altogether different that people wanted to come and hear. So the idea of the women and children coming makes sense as well. So it's hard to say concretely what the number is, but 5,000 is pretty big, right? 
and it's likely much, much more. And Jesus says to these 5,000, have them sit down. Yeah, no big whoop, right? You know, sit down. Let's get organized here, right? So we know who we hand out the food to. Well, Jesus uses a word for, for men that's a little bit different. Andrus would be the word for men. It would just mean, it's in Greek, it would mean a group of men. So it would be like, you know, I'd say, hey, the men are going out to play golf this afternoon, right? I might use Andrus, the men are going out to play. But there was this other word that's very similar called Andrus, right? Just a little bit different. And it would describe, in fact, it, every time it's used in the New Testament, it describes a man who goes and gets a collector, a provider, somebody who brings back something that's needed. Jesus chooses to use this form of the word. It almost doesn't even make sense that Jesus is using this instead of just generally saying a group of men uh, till you understand what an Andres does. An Andres was the one who provided at the meal table, especially in a more formal meal. They would stand. They wouldn't sit at the table with, with the, the family and the guests. They would stand. And if food is needed, if more is needed, the Andres, they would go, the Andre would go back, they would get food, and they'd bring it to the table. Oh, do you need some more? Okay. And they would go back and forth. That was their job. And it was often given to the oldest male in the house. And they would care for their guests. They would care for their family in this way. And it was somewhat a way of saying, look, I'll provide for you here. And listen, mom, dad, when you're of the age, I will provide fully for you across the board. That was kind of this role. And Jesus chooses to use this nuance of the word as if to say this, all of you out there who provide on your own, who provide for yourself, who provide for your families, maybe you're even that oldest son who is the Andre in your family at formal mealtime, sit down, have a seat. Andre, you don't need to stand for this meal. You don't need to go back and forth. Have a seat. Today, I'll be doing the providing. I'll be doing it today. Do you need to hear that today? Do you reach points in your life where you're so exhausted from providing on your own and forgetting you have a God who wants to commune with you and talk with you and be your provider for and with you? Do you need to hear today, just sit down because God wants to still be your provider? Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying just be real lazy in your family and not take care of your responsibility. I'm saying don't forget who wants to provide for you. You got to start there. Sit down. Just sit down and let God re-speak to you about who he is and what he wants to do and why the dominant name for, Jesus, or for God in the Old Testament is provider. God is still provider, but it often requires us to sit down. Verse 13, he goes on. He says, so they gathered them. They filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves they had left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets. They feed everyone, and guess what? There's still enough. In fact, there's still way more. It's clear here that there has to be a connection with the number 12 and the 12 tribes uh, of Israel here, that we understand that this, this number 12 is not used flippantly. It's not used a ton, but it has this symbolism, the way Jesus chose 12 disciples to represent the same. These 12 tribes of Israel, this is simply what it meant. 
throughout the Old Testament, the 12 tribes was God's people. That's what it is. This is my people divided among these 12 tribes. This is my people. And so Jesus here is saying, look, we'll collect 12 bag, uh, uh, baskets left over. There's still enough for all my people. There's still enough food. Remember Jesus' task for coming? Do you remember what he said his purpose was coming? Luke 19 records it, verse 10. For the Son of God came to seek and save those who were what? Lost. Who were lost. The religious leaders really struggled with this. Even sometimes his disciples didn't quite get why this was such a priority and why it was so important all the time. They loved their time with him. In fact, sometimes every once in a while, even in the church world, I'll hear Christians say, well, what about us? We, you know, we talk about reaching your friends, invite somebody to church next week, go out and share your story. We've talked about all those things, you know, over and over and over this year already. What about us? What about us? And in a very subtle way, Jesus is saying, there's plenty left over for you. There's plenty left over for my people. Let's go do what needs to be done. There's a crowd here. We need to feed them. Let's take care of them and feed them today. Let's provide what they need. And there'll be plenty left over for God's people. You're going to be cared for. You're going to be taken care of. But the mission is priority. Caring for people, offering, being providers for them, that's a priority as well. And guess what? God will provide for you. He will provide. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Do you remember the oldest son when they came back? Dad, I've been with you the whole time. I never went out and squandered my money and, and blew my inheritance. And what does the father say? You know, you're blessed. You've been with me all along. Everything I have is yours. But today we need to celebrate because your brother was lost and now he's found. We're going to celebrate salvation today. We're going to celebrate new life. But listen, everything is yours. There's plenty left over for you as well. The reminder is do the work of God. God will provide for you. God will provide. He'll take care of you. Prioritize mission. Here's the last one. Um, and, and this is kind of like we read the story. We love the, the whole uh, feeding of the 5,000, multiplication, 12 baskets, all this. But this is a little, it feels like a transition verse between the next section. And so we'll just zip past this. But it's important. Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king. So he took refuge again alone on the mountain. This is what the people thought. They thought, wow, bread in the wilderness. God has done it again. Do you remember in the wilderness when God provided manna from heaven? Do you remember that story? After the exodus, after God rescued them from being slaves in Egypt, he provides manna falling from heaven. And they're saying, wow. Bread from God, he's done it again. He's done it again. And they're ready to take Jesus as king. That's what they mean when they say Messiah. They are ready to take him as king. Because this is what they thought. Just as Joshua led them into the promised land, and they kind of vanquished the promised land, and that became their promised area. That became their land. The people thought this. God will clear the promised land once again. God is sending Messiah. He'll be our king. We will get rid of the Roman Empire. We will be free once again. That's what they're seeing in Jesus now. 
That's why the John records here, they understood they were, Jesus understood they were about to come and force him to be their king. You're the one. You're the one to make all this happen once again. And what's Jesus' response? Like, yeah, I'm going to be a king, but not the way you think. And he withdraws on his own to pray in the mountains. I mean, listen, we all know it because we're about to come up on primary season in the political realm right here in, in our state, about to go. And Tuesday, right? We're, we're, we're voting for some primaries. I don't know. Maybe I have that wrong. But it's coming because the commercials are crazy. So we know that you capitalize on your popularity. You feed 5,000 people and they're ready you know, to, to follow you anywhere and have you be anything. You capitalize. And Jesus says, that's not what I came to be. And he withdraws. And we've been leading up to telling you during John chapter 11 and 12, that transition, Jesus will, for the first time in the book of John, says, I'm ready to reveal myself fully. Up till now, he said, my time has not yet come. And we'll get there. We're on the track. So the people just thought, uh, he's going to clear the promised land again. What does this remind us of? Did not make Jesus what he didn't come to be. Make him what he came to be. No, don't make him what he didn't come to be. He did not come to be your political party's champion. I don't care which one it is. He didn't come for that purpose. He didn't come to be the great preserver of the American Constitution, though I like it. I hope it preserves. He didn't come. That's not his role. He didn't come to do that. Don't mistake it. He didn't come to make life completely easy. You don't become a Christian. You're like, hey, all hardship is gone, right? Can any Christian testify to that's been the case? It's been gone. You've made better decisions, so you might have eliminated some of the stuff you used to choose. But life still goes, and there's hardships. He didn't come just to say, I just want to make you happy, whatever makes you happy. He came to be the Lord of our life. He came to offer us salvation, new life. He came to teach us and walk, walk us through a way that we had currently been blind to, that brings a form of life joy, satisfaction, fulfillment that we couldn't find on our own when we were just providing ourselves. He came to re-equip us and empower us to do the work of the kingdom so that the person you know that you work with, a family member, a friend that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't have life in him, that doesn't have eternity awaiting them, so that they can know him and have that through you. That's what he came for. To be your Lord, to empower you to be on mission. So don't make him what he didn't come to be. You can spend every hour of your day wrapped up in making Jesus something he didn't come to be. And you've just spun your wheels. So what did Jesus come to, to, to be? I'd want to get in line with that and move forward in that direction. So here's your task. We gave you six just go through and just circle one. I mean, you can circle all six if, you, if God has hit you there and you want to get up every morning. But listen, a powerful prayer in 30 seconds even, a heartfelt prayer to wake up and say, let's grab one. God, today, would you just have me sit down in the areas that I've been providing without even considering you? Just have me sit down today that I might hear your voice once again and how you want to provide. Lord, today... Would you, Father, would you just help me believe you can provide? I'm struggling with that, Lord. Would you help me believe that? 
God, would you show me why you came today and help me to have a resounding yes that I'll get on board with that? In 30 seconds, you can start your day. Listen, don't wait to the end of the day. If you wait to the end, last five minutes, you're off to bed, and there's a reset, you know. Start your day that way, that the Holy Spirit might send you. Those who've been going on discipleship, we pray this 30-second prayer every morning. Lord, would you untie my sails today? If there be any way within me that is preventing you from speaking or me hearing you, could I untie that? And then, Lord, would I raise my sail? Would today you direct me and send me wherever you want? Wherever the Holy Spirit wants to send me, I'm willing to go. That's a great prayer, a powerful one in 30 seconds. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for what you want to share and a story that's so familiar. In fact, I'm not even sure there's a more familiar story in the book of John than this one. And yet you reveal new things when we study your word. Father, would I remind us of our goal when it comes to this, is that we would become biblically literate, meaning we would know your word and know what it says and what it's about. Father, we can spend the rest of our life growing and learning in your word. But let's commit to starting, moving forward, becoming more literate in what you have to say. Father, for each of these things we went through, Father, if there be one that your spirit just wanted to descend upon the people here, whichever one it is, would this be the statement that they do some business tied to a verse that is an impactful story that they can meditate and dwell on this week? That we would say it this way, if we believe this is the word of God, what would I do different this week when I put it into practice? Lord, we pray for great testimony that would come from the answer to that question. We pray in your son's name. Amen.